Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. So he made something which Frank Sinatra called the greatest love song of the past 50 years. Which is bullshit. He's clearly never heard Love Story by Taylor Swift, has he? I mean, I think this was maybe like in the 70s or 80s when he said this, not... <laughs> what Just, the fuck are you talking about? Love yeah, story like Taylor I fucking hate Taylor Swift, man. <laughs> How about new? Hello. Welcome to episode 25 of the greatest podcast of all time. We have an incredible treat for you tonight today to morning whenever you're listening to this episode it is grab bag number three it's the trilogy it's the big one we're back for the final part grab bag three return of the king let's have it we've got some spicy lovely juicy sweet and tasty topics in the pick a mix bag for you tonight we have the goat beetle the bug i'm saying rhinoceros beetle We've got goat pet peeve, things that annoy us the most in the world, the goats of them. I am so excited for that that section, boys, just going to say. And we also have the goat foreign film, which only makes sense if you live in England, in which case it might not be a foreign film for you in the country where it is from. But anyway, I digress. How are you two both? Based on what I can see on screen, it's a very interesting record tonight because Vinny's dead and Seb's in a car. That's us. Welcome to Goats, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Explain why you're in a car, Seb. What's happened with that? Well, I'm on holiday, aren't I? And if there's one thing people can never accuse us of, it's slacking. Um, True. We had a record to do. There's no internet in the caravan that I'm staying in. And so I had to drive to a car park for a beach where I knew there was signal. So I'm just... People probably think I'm like dogging or something, but... I'm not. I'm recording a hit podcast. You're just re- you're just oh, trying yeah. to record your um OnlyFans, aren't you? Your your OnlyFans can't miss a day, so they've got to have a video of you wanking and exactly ASMRing. So you've got to do it in the car. And I thought, well, I may as well record the podcast while I'm out here as well. It's been a nice holiday, actually. I spent five, no, seven hours fishing yesterday. Didn't get a nibble. Didn't get anything. I genuinely believe there's no fish. And what made me feel better was that I was talking to a lot of loads loads of people fishing the same spot. No one got anything. And everyone was saying, and this is probably just an excuse, but apparently there's a big trawler 
out on the coast of Cornwall right now, and that's taking all the fish. Now, I'm not going to lie, the fish I was fishing for mostly live around the rocks. So that's probably not really true. People don't really eat balamras, but I'll take it. Other than that, it's been pretty decent, mate. What, what have you guys been up to? Nothing much. Life's good. Rings of Power is out. I'm thoroughly enjoying that. We're recording this on a Friday, and I'm actually missing episode five to do this with you boys, which proves my dedication to this podcast. Oh, mate, I've already, I've already watched the first half of it, and everyone dies. Spoiler oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. And Gandalf shows up, and he waves his cock around. <laughs> and Gollum comes there's back. A dick, there's a fully nude scene with Gandalf and Gollum, <laughs> and Frodo watches in the corner. <laughs> oh, do you know what we need to do? What? We got another patron. Do we? Wow. Yeah, um, I don't know. It's actually genuinely the first one of anyone that we don't know. But yeah, I, I, it's a bloke. Oh, I mean, it, maybe it's not a bloke. It could be a woman. But it's a, it's a someone called Eid Morgan or Eid Morgan. Steed. Steed. No, Eid. Eid. Spelt E-D. Eid, Eid Morgan. Oh, it's Ed Morgan. I know that person. Oh, Eid Ed Morgan. Morgan. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So I do know Ed. Oh, yeah. Ah. <laughs> That's a bit for everyone. That's a bit of the comedy genius everyone's paying into there. I can't wait to hear it. Thank you, Eid McGann, for sponsoring, for, for pledging, for giving some dosh to the show. And Michael will pretend that he'll send your stickers this week and then send them in a couple of weeks. Yep, 100%. Thank you very much, Ed. <laughs> <laughs> That's <was> fantastic. <laughs> How are you, Benny? <laughs> Goodness. I had a really wild weekend, actually, a really long weekend partying whilst the Queen was being carried away to Buckinghamshire, wherever the fuck she went to. <laughs> yeah, I, I went to like this disco drum and bass night on Friday. It was banging, absolutely great. Have you ever heard of the band Godspeed You Black Emperor before? No, of no. course not. <laughs> <laughs> so they they basically like sort of invented a whole subgenre of rock music called post-rock and like every post-rock band that makes music just makes like poor imitations of their music from like the late 90s early noughties and i saw them with my two friends and it was a very interesting experience because it's like every song was just like half an hour long and it's just like really really ambient with like lots of violins and there's no talking or singing and they've got like two drummers three bass guitarists for some reason there's, the guitarist is playing with a fucking screwdriver. I don't know why, but he is. It was just really crazy. Yeah, it was a really, really cool experience. I really enjoyed nice. that. But now, I've, now I'm dying <laughs> because of it. I'm repenting for my yeah, sins, yeah. especially for calling the devil fictional yeah. last episode. <laughs> no. Which actually, if you're, <laughs> he's real. if you're paying attention, because he's real, we have to actually backtrack. And I believe that makes Sour on the go. Oh, fuck off. Well, that's not, yeah, there's no hard evidence, just, yeah, let's, let's hold, hold the guns from then on. Good stuff. Right. So, Vinny's dead, Seb's in a car. Perfect. Let's get on with it. I believe the first one we're doing is Goat Beetle, right? So, I want to hear your picks. I want to know who's got the shiniest shell, which wings flap the hardest, what weapons they carry. Dung Beetle counts. So, Ladybird, that technically a beetle. So, who wants to go first? I hate to break it to you, Michael, but we're not talking about the insects. What? We're talking about, you know, B 
Beatles with an A. I can't spell. What's Beetle with an A? That's a Beetle. A Beetle's a Beetle is a Beetle, mate. Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice. Well, Beetle's the insect spelt with two E's. But we're talking about the band, which is actually a really shit pun. Because oh, it's like crikey. Beat, but Beetle, which a lot of people don't really realise, but is hang yeah, on, it's just a terrible pun. How is a pun? What's the pun? The pun is it's like beat, you know, like a beat and a snare or whatever. And it's beetle, you know, because it's, it's spelt like beat. A B-E-A-T. Oh, my God, my like mind has just beat. blown. Is that actually true? Was that intentional? Yeah, it's just a, it's just a, ter- yeah, it's just a terrible pun. Because that's not how you spell beetle. Beetle's with two E's. Oh, my God. Or three E's, really. Holy shit, Vinny, you've just ruined the whole world. Yeah, I know, right? <laughs> All those 15-year-old girls who can't name a single Beatles song wearing Beatles t-shirts now are going to have to sell them on Vinted for a fiver. Oh, my God. That is genuinely like finding out Nirvana's a joke about Nerf guns or something. That's horrendous. That is awful, Vinny. <laughs> but That's really cringed me out. Yeah, that's disgusting. Maybe let's just skip this one. <laughs> <laughs> that's what a bad taste in all our mouths. That genuinely has made me feel a bit like, oh. Oh, no. It's not great, is it? So who's going first, then? Who's the greatest Beatle of all time? Seb. Fine, I'll go first. So, obviously, I'm a contrarian, in part. Don't you, don't you dare pick Ringo. So, <laughs> when Vinny said we should do The Greatest Beatle, my brain went to two places, and they've already both been mentioned. I was like, well, I'm either going to do an insect <laughs> yeah. for the bands, or I'm going to do Ringo <laughs> for the bands. So I did Ringo, but I chose Ringo, and I'm genuinely glad I did, because... What started as like a zany joke answer has become a genuine passion because I genuinely believe that not only is Ringo Starr the greatest Beatle, but I believe that he's probably one of the greatest, if not the most influential rock drummers of all time. Now, he's a drummer. Yeah, he plays the tambourine when they play live. Well, he's like Baz. Yeah, listen, I didn't mean like he's a drum. Like I meant like I didn't know he was the drum. I don't know who does what in the Beatles. All I know is John Lennon's dead and Paul McCartney does all the songs. So it's, who's the other one? George Harrison. He's the one that no one cares about, isn't it? So Ringo Starr, he's the drummer. Got it. I just know where we stand now, okay? Yeah, okay. So Ringo's the drummer. Now, obviously, a lot of there's a lot of jokes about Ringo and about how he was like the worst Beatle and how he didn't really contribute very much. And I'm here to settle that record, because that is objectively not true, and I'm going to tell you why. So I found an article called 13 Reasons to Respect Ringo on Ringo's own website, I believe called ringostar.com. Now, I'm just going to name some ways that he changed drumming, not just for the Beatles, but for rock music in general. Firstly and foremostly, he's the reason that people hold their drumsticks like they do now, like rock drummers hold their drumsticks like they do now. If you watch old videos of the likes of Elvis, like B.B. King, their kind of backing drummers held both one drum like this, like like a traditional, like how we see a rock drummer holding a drum, but they hold the other one like a chopstick, like a military drummer does. Yeah, that's traditional That's traditional drumming. Ringo was one of the first people in mainstream music to hold both like they were batons. And he did that so that he'd get the power out of the drums. And that he brought 
drumming as being a backing instrument, but by changing the way he drummed, he brought it to be an important part of the song rather than just a way of keeping tempo, rather than just a in the background. He could lay down these huge, powerful beats because he was holding both his drumsticks like proper drumsticks. Now, that is undeniably an important contribution to music. You can't deny that. We wouldn't have the likes of like Dave Grohl, the one from fucking... Um, Name another drummer, yeah. <laughs> that one who did the one with the gorilla, what's that called? Phil Collins. I can feel it. Phil, Phil Collins. Collins. I heard that it wasn't actually Phil Collins and it was actually a gorilla. Wow, I heard that too. So that's important, that he changed drumming and bands like Nirvana fucking what are they called royal blood arctic monkeys bands that have that really heavy drum influence wouldn't be here if it hadn't been for ringo Starr changing the way people drum you just couldn't get the power out of a drum set without drumming that way that's important you can't take that away from ringo he might have a funny accent and be a little bit not that bright but you can't take that away from him okay? why has he got a funny accent where's he from he's from liverpool but he has like they've all got funny accents and they they're all from liverpool yeah, they're scouts. But they don't sound. They're not like, oh, it's they're me, what's going on there? Are they like, how scouts are they on a, on a, like, from Steve and Gerard to like Paddy Pimlet? How, where are they? They're very scouts, but they're not the kind of scouts. They're not necessarily like the working class dockyard scouts that people think of when they think of that like really thick accent. They do have very pronounced scouse accents, but they're not. It's also, you've got to remember that these guys are now in their like 80s, the ones that are still in there alive. So it's a scouse accent mm. from. 60 years ago, not a scout set set from now. Sure, sure, sure. In the same way that you might hear a guy from ENDS now, they don't have the same accent as Michael Caine, but they're both from London, if that makes sense. Um, but yeah, so that's my first point. Secondly, Ringo was the first drummer ever to have his drum set and himself positioned on stage in a way where people could see him. So normally a drummer would be behind all the other, like the guitarists, the singers, the vocalists, blah, blah, blah. And they'd basically just be staring at all their backs. If you watch like old videos of Elvis and stuff like that, you can't see the drummer. They're just like behind Elvis. You can't see him. And when they went on the Ed Sullivan show, because they were such a big deal, <laughs> Vinny, why are you he's like, what the fuck are you talking about? I've seen loads of like 50s, 40s drummers. Like the, you can see the drummer very clearly. He's not like off in no, the corner with the, in the no, shadows no, no, or whatever. What are you talking about? He's not off in the corner, but he was the first guy to have the drum set put on a platform so that he could see oh, right. over the top of everyone. So everyone could see him because the Beatles were such a big deal that when they went on the Ed Sullivan show, they wanted to be able to see every member clearly. And so he started the trend of drummers being up high behind the rest of the band so everyone could see what they were doing. Important contribution. Can't take that away from him. Here's another thing. This is one of Ringo Starr's most key influences to the Beatles. And this is genuinely why he's really impressive as a drummer and as a Beatle. So he had something that's called perfect tempo so in the same way that some musicians might have perfect pitch Ringo Starr has perfect tempo so he can maintain a beat mathematically perfectly incredibly consistently and what this meant was so this is before musicians would play with like headphones in and would have like a sound ticker keeping them on beat and normally so say if you listen to Elvis right if you listen to Elvis's Hound Dog they will have recorded that track 60 times. 
But that record you listen to will be one single take. It'll be the take that they decided out of those 60 times was the best one. However, because Ringo could keep such perfect time, it kept the rest of the band on perfect timing and allowed them to sample bits from different takes of the same track and cut them together and therefore allowed for a much higher quality sound that people came to expect from the Beatles. So that's why even early Beatles recordings sound really clean is because because of his ability to keep them so perfectly on time, they could do all that. Also, the reason they were able to become so experimental is that he was able to maintain that perfect tempo off key. And like when George and I don't really know this, I'm at the limit of what I know about (laughs) music right now. Something to do with because he could keep such a perfect rhythm, even when the other lads went a bit off kilter and were doing like crazy guitar shit (laughs) that kept the recording on track it steadied the ship and it allowed for them to make these really complex records again because they could cut back to stuff because he was keeping the ship steady and that that is genuinely really impressive now if you thought that i'm just making this up i'm not because the other beatles knew how talented ringo was and i'll tell you why because they used to have another drummer called Pete Best, and they sacked him off. Fucking, what's the other two called? Paul and John. They were like, this guy's not good enough. And they said to their agent, we want the best drummer in Liverpool, and they got Ringo Starr. So he was good. Like, they knew he was good. I heard a different story to that. Oh, fuck's sake. I heard that um, Best, because they would often play, like, in Germany or Hamburg or something. Best didn't like... The, they, they would also often play like nine hour sets in these like bars and pubs and stuff and Best just wasn't keen for it and he didn't like the whole wearing a suit and stuff to play and he, he just didn't really like the whole image of the band and then they were playing at the same time another band was playing and they were like well you know that drummer sounds awfully good doesn't he <laughs> and uh, it was Ringo and then Ringo was like they went up to Ringo was like do you want to play with us the Beatles and Ringo was like yeah alright I'll play with the Beatles <laughs> And and he switched. He's just switched bands. Like he just joined the band that night. That's what I heard. I read what I read off of Ringo's website, but whichever's true, either <laughs> way, website. Either way, right? Whatever's true, either way, the amalgamation of those two stories is they identified this guy was pretty sick, and they got him on. Is what you exactly. Saying. But most importantly, he was the glue that kept the Beatles together. This is what historically you can watch all those fucking you know they released on fucking discovery plus that like 18 hours of unseen footage of the beatles recording abbey road whatever it is and it's all the bits where like yoko isn't pissing on the floor or whatever he was the glue that kept them together like he was the chill one he was the shoulder to cry and he was like the mediator and towards the end when things were getting really edgy and yokoed up he kept the band together and like you can see it in the recordings like he comes in, he's like, hi guys, I've, I've come up with a really funny song about an octopus. And George is like, okay. And then they, and then they make the terrible song about the octopus. <laughs> and it is really bad. It's really bad. But it's funny and it keeps the band together. And like, it was this that made it so impactful when he decided to leave for the brief period he did when things were getting really edgy. Because it was like when two parents are arguing, they've become so engrossed in the argument, they've forgotten about the bigger picture. And they turn around, their little kids crying, and their little kids are like, I don't want to live with you anymore. 
and they're like, oh my God, we've lost sense of it. Mm. We need to be strong for Ringo. And they were strong for Ringo. And because of that, they made Abbey Road. And I honestly believe that without Ringo's calming, chill, stoner energy, the Beatles would have broken up way sooner and they would never have released Abbey Road. And I also think that because of that, he is responsible for some of the Beatles' finest work and therefore is the greatest Beatle. They couldn't have done what they did without Ringo. They couldn't have. And I mean that both technically because of his perfect tempo and in like a day-to-day sense. They wouldn't have stayed together. I genuinely believe that. Hand on heart. Damn. That was great. That was a really good presentation, Seb. Vinny, you've actually got a lot of work to do because I'm not a very big Beatle aficionado. Like I said, I didn't even know Ringo was a drummer. So you're really selling it to a pleb here. And yeah, you've got some work to do. So if you don't pick fucking whatever his name is, George Best or fucking Billy Shears, then it was, you know, waning for you. So Vinny, who's the greatest Beatle of all time then? Well, you can make a case for all four of the Beatles being the best Beatles, to be fair. I mean, John Lennon wrote a lot of the cooler, edgier songs. And he obviously co-wrote a lot of songs as well with Paul. And then Paul McCartney himself wrote like, 80% of all Beatles songs, maybe even 90%, and was literally the leader and kept them all together, especially towards the end when they all wanted to do their own thing. Paul was just like, nah, lads, let's let's keep on making pop music. This is great. Nah, nah, do the accent. Hang on, say that line again. Do the accent. Nah, lads, let's keep making pop music. <laughs> it's great. <laughs> and then George Harrison just fucking shredded on guitar and wrote some of the best Beatles music in the later half of their... Uh, the band's career and then obviously the legendary last beetle george martin their producer and manager who kept the group together through thick and thin all four beetles were fantastic especially george martin so you're not you're not even including ringo star in this thing. are you not including ringo you bastard that's so, see this is what i mean he doesn't deserve it he doesn't deserve it <laughs> He's just shit all over you, Sam. That's absolutely atrocious. He's just shit through Discord and all over you, Carl. I'll tell you what, I have a lot of respect for Ringo. He has a very unique swing, and because he was a left-handed drummer, he he just had a very unique way of drumming that was very hard to imitate. A lot of drummers will say they could not imitate Ringo Starr's drumming, and I think it worked. That style worked really well for the Beatles, but he also was just like the only one without an ego and without any good creative songwriting skills so he never wanted to push his own stuff and that was really good when you had three other people all with big egos and all with a lot of creativity and they wanted to push their stuff so it was good to have that fourth guy kind of like you say just sort of be the mediator and sort of keep them on track and stuff and not have another fucking head in the mix, basically. It sounds like you're also saying Ringo's the goat, really. No, not at all, because he's not good at music. (laughs) (laughs) But obviously, out of those four Beatles, that has to be the best. And it's obviously just George Harrison. So Another one I've not heard of. Well, George Harrison was the uh, lead guitarist, basically. He did, like, all the... um, solos and stuff oh right i thought that was paul mccartney paul did the bass and then george was like rhythm guitar basically right but they kind of swapped in and out i mean paul did some drumming as well when 
There's like a th- I, I, there was one of the songs where like they just, Ringo just couldn't get the drumming right, and then Paul in the in the lunch break just did the drumming for him, and then that became the studio version because he just I think Ringo just couldn't do the particular type of drumming Paul oh. wanted, basically, which oh, is dear, really fun. <laughs> oh, dear. Seth's shaking, Seth's shaking his head. <laughs> it's not looking good, bro. It's not looking good. So, as the younger of the legendary three Beatles, the three. <laughs> my script is literally written like this my my script is i literally wrote the script like this i didn't even know you were gonna pick ringo (laughs) it's just funny to bully him he's an incredibly talented man (laughs) oh god as george was the youngest of the beatles he was always the quiet one and was never given the freedom to make his music outside of coming up with sick guitar licks for the band. But on 1966's Revolver, he started to get more creative freedom and actually wrote the song Taxman, which is a fucking belter and has a sick guitar solo in it also. One of the best Beatles guitar solos for sure. And from then on out, he was allowed to do a couple of songs every album by the grace of uh, mum and dad, which is Paul and John, (laughs) obviously. So because he was only allowed to do like two songs per album, it basically was like only the really, really good stuff came out. And so all the George songs are basically all just really, really, really good. And there's not a single misstep anywhere. The other Beatles all have misstep songs. Songs are a bit like, yeah, yeah. But George is the only one who has like, they're all great at least, at least great. So he made, um, this is going to be difficult, because I don't know if you'll know any of these except for Here Comes the Sun. Yeah, I recognise that. But I'll I'll, I'll list them off anyway. So he made, some of those songs he made were Think for Yourself, While My Guitar Gently Weeps, Here Comes the Sun, I Me Mine, which I really like personally, and Something, which Frank Sinatra called the greatest love song of the past 50 years. Which is bullshit. He's clearly never heard Love Story by Taylor Swift, has he? I mean, I think this was maybe like in the 70s or 80s when he said this, not... <laughs> what Just, the fuck are you talking about Love yeah, Story by Taylor Swift? I fucking hate Taylor Swift, man. <laughs> um, do you know what else is cool? Some of the songs George Harrison made. So, hey, that was great. <laughs> great segue. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, he did a lot of other like more experimental songs like Blue Jay Away and like Within You Without You, It's All Too Much, Love You Too, which a lot of these songs he'd use like an Indian sitar, for example. And like they're very like vibrant sounding and very sort of not really like what you'd expect from the Beatles, but they still have a lot of that like Beatles poppy catchiness that like a lot of people came in to expect from the Beatles so he did a lot of experimental music but still with that like fun you know likeable twist of pop music Shorty had the whole 
One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowl and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, ninety-six percent replied that Bowl and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a thirty-night guarantee. Plus, get fifteen percent off your first order at bowlandbranch.com. Code Buttery. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get thirty? Thirty. Ready to get thirty? Ready to get twenty? Twenty. Twenty. Ready to get twenty? Twenty. Ready to get fifteen? Fifteen. 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 Just fifteen bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com/slash-switch. Forty-five dollars up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited, more than forty gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey, it's Paige Desorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. So then after the Beatles split up in, I think, 1969, George decided to make an album full of all the songs he wasn't permitted to do under the name of the Beatles. And this album was called All Things Must Pass. And ask any Beatles fan, and there's a very good chance they'll tell you this is the best solo Beatles album by far. Gang, right, give me a sec. All right, mate, you're a Beatles fan, aren't you? Sweet. What's the best solo Beatles album of all time? That one George Harrison did. Yeah, sweet. All right, cheers, bye. Bye. Yeah, I, I can confirm that, Vinny. <laughs> Thank you for that, Michael. <laughs> oh, hang on, hang on. I'm, I'm getting one as well. I'm getting this one. Uh, hang on. Yeah, hello, mate. Yeah, what's uh, what's the best? Uh, you're, you're a Beatles fan, are you? What's the, uh, what's the best Beatles solo album ever? Uh, that one Ringo did. Yeah, no, I agree. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that one Ringo did. <laughs> <laughs> we've asked the Beatles fans and they have spoken it's 50-50 so it's split it's, it's a split, a split decision, decision <laughs> then he carry on yeah just fucking every song on All Things Will Pass is just a fucking screamer it's a banger and you should know the song My Sweet Lord My Sweet Lord I really wanna hold you 
Hallelujah. I love that song. It's just so good. And yeah, George went on to have a very successful solo career past the Beatles, and I would argue the best solo career of all the Beatles. As John's music was too edgy and raw for most of the public, Paul made the same five cheesy love songs over and over again, and let's just not talk about Ringo's music. (laughs) (laughs) Absolute fucking disgrace. I wrote all of this on Ship Free without knowing. Does Ringostar.com have his uh, MS Paint paintings? (laughs) What? Have you seen these? I don't know. They're fucking amazing. Oh my god. Just type in Ringo Starr MS Paint or whatever. Is that real? Yep. He did that? He painted all of that in MS Paint. Why? (laughs) Good fucking question. Right. Well, do you know what? It's kind of close, but also not really. Oh, Ringo's I, no, don't jump on Vinny's fucking hype train. No. Don't no, do it. Listen, he's, listen. Just, he's making you want to buy into the listen, joke. Listen, right? I was actually fully convinced Ringo was the GOAT for about 10 minutes there while you were giving your thing, right? 100%. Because he does sound very important. Like, genuinely, he does sound very important and what he was doing was keeping the band together and everything else. I think he probably goes under the radar as, like, an absolute GOAT drummer. But... Vinny did sort of shit all over him <laughs> by basically yeah, saying that's he, what he, did. he. Well, you know, if he can't write a song, if the best he can come up with is a song about an octopus, then I, he, as a musician, you know, you can't really crown him as a goat ahead of. No, 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 fucking what slash? I don't know if Slash has ever written a good song. But he's still widely regarded to be one of the best guitarists of all time. Doesn't make him not a good guitarist. Yeah, but we're talking about the Goat Beatle. Yeah, exactly. So you can't say that he's not a good Beatle just because he can't write songs. There's more to being a Beatle well, than writing what. songs. <laughs> he's a human metronome. He's got perfect, perfect tempo. Do you know how hard that is? Look, right, what I'm going to say is he can't be the Goat Beatle because of that MS Paint drawer and stuff, okay? Right, simple as, that's it, done. George oh, Harrison's the Goat same. Beatle. This is absolutely outrageous. <laughs> Vinny fucking droned his way through some bollocks about fucking George Harrison because he's got a cold and you're going to fucking give it away because you're going to jump on the train of hating on Ringo. Well, I don't care Beatles. about Ringo. Ringo is the only reason the Beatles stayed together and if you think anything else, you're a fucking idiot. Right. So, Billy Shears is the greatest Beatle of all time. Fucking, I'm glad George died. <laughs> you can't say that. Yeah, man, that's fucked up. Stop saying you're glad people die. <laughs> Unless it's the Queen. Billy Shears is the greatest Beatle of all time. Ringo Starr's shit art. So, what's the next topic? Who, what are we going to do next? As middle-class straight white blokes, we don't have too much conflict and strife within our lives. And that's why we're going to talk about the little things that just get under our skin. Like somebody chewing a bit too loudly around you. Or someone not leaving the door open for you when you're trying to walk through. Whatever pet peeves we all have, there simply must be something that has to be crowned as the greatest pet peeve of all time. And that's why we're here. Michael. Yeah, as a non-middle class person, I I wouldn't consider myself middle class. As someone who doesn't consider themselves middle class, I do have a lot of, like, whatever you just said in their life. What did you say? Strife. Conflict and strife. Yeah. 
this might not come across in the podcast because I feel like our podcast is quite positive all the time because we're talking about the best of the best. But I can be quite a negative person and quite a moan and get angry about a lot of things most of the time completely irrationally. So this was a really good one for me. Most of the time it's just immigrants, isn't it? That's what really fucking winds you up. Immigrants and Jews and women I like all of those things. Do you know what? Michael just sits on the shore at Dover and he just throws darts at them (laughs) and just lets them pop as they're coming in. (laughs) Some fucking little Afghani kids paddled over on a lilo and Michael's just tossing nails at him. (laughs) Fucking swim the last hundred, Ahmed. you got to really want it. (laughs) Crikey. Right, so I started thinking about things that annoy me. Pet peeves. Pets. That was one of the first things that I thought of that annoys me. People and their pets. I really don't like when people refer to themselves from their pet's perspective as the parents of the pet. Oh, yeah, I don't like that. Like, as the pet's mummy and daddy. That's fucking cringe, right? Don't do that. That's horrible. I hate that. People not picking up their dog shit. Where I live, there's literally dog shit everywhere. And cat shit. That really annoys me. And cat shit everywhere, yeah, as well. And that, again, that annoys me as well. Like, cats should just be completely illegal because... You're just not responsible for them, are you? You're not responsible for them. If someone was walking their dog and it was just shitting all in my garden, I would be like, I'll be like, mate, you can't do that. Inside cat's fine. But if you've got an outside cat that just wanders around shitting everywhere, you're not responsible for its shit. I've got to pick up its shit off my garden. That is not acceptable. Yeah, normally, no, I think cats normally shit in like bushes in places where people aren't going to step in it, to be honest. But I, for some reason, they're just really attracted to your front garden, whatever. It's so annoying, that front little it's gravity bit. It's so annoying. It's just a big litter box, that's the reason. That I is think. what yeah. it is. It looks like a big litter tray. Yeah. It does my nut in. So that, that, that all does my head in. And I was thinking of some other things, like when people say the wrong word. Do you know what I mean? When people say like, pacifically. Instead of specifically. Oh, mate, don't. That does my fucking head I saw it on a work email today as well. This is one that really annoys me, but most people have never, like, thought of. And now I say it, you're going to realise it all the time. Like, the correct sentence is, I genuinely hate when cats shit in my garden, right? But people always replace the word genuinely for generally. With generally. I was about to say that. That's my fucking head Oh, my God. It's infuriating. I saw it on an email today, and I was like... What do you mean? Yeah, I generally believe in God. What, just in general? Just like, you know, what are you talking about, you muppet? It's similar to like how people misspell definitely as defiantly a lot as well. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is that me? Do I do that? Um, I don't think so. The, your sentences you just sent to me make like no sense half the time, and I have to piece together what the fuck you're talking about and be like, where's the misspelling? There's like three here. I, I think I can work <laughs> out where he's fucked up. <laughs> so... Yeah, the way people talk. That annoys me. Other things that annoy me. People that eat too loudly. All of these things. People who play music really loudly, like, on the bus. People who are walking down the street, they've got their headphones in, but they're having a phone conversation on hands-free, so they're holding their phone in their hand outside in front of their face, talking into the microphone while it blasts out. A phone was made to go to your ear and just, like, talk to you loud so you can have your own private conversation. Why are you on loudspeaker walking around town, like... Holding your phone out in front of you. I, it, what, what are you doing? And then I came to the conclusion, rattling through all these... Pe- I was like, I can't crown any of these as the GOAT. And I had to just join the dots and sum up really what is the biggest pet peeve in the whole entire world. The greatest pet peeve for everybody of all time. And that's just the existence of other human beings. 
It's very simple. The biggest annoyance for everybody on this planet is the existence and the things other people do. It's just other people. People are the biggest pet peeve of people. Simple as. If you were on the earth by yourself, able to get on with all what you wanted to do, happy days. And if you had this podcast to listen to, obviously that would be brilliant. But just the existence of other people, that is the greatest pet peeve of all time. And you cannot deny it. I'm sorry, you might, Vinny, that's sad, don't even bother, like, just crown it now, because the existence of other people is the most annoying thing for other people, isn't it? Well, so you'd say you're good friends, me and Sebek, are pet peeves. Well, like, if you were eating too loudly and stuff and, like, pronouncing generally wrong, and if you're letting your dog shit in my garden... That generally, anno- that that would, generally hurts me. That would me. generally really hurt me. <laughs> and specifically, if your cat shit in my garden, I would generally be raging. <laughs> I'm defiantly going to shoot it. <laughs> But people say it all the time, don't they? It's always like the... I call them like mum and dad memes. They like post on Facebook like, I hate people who are, I'm not a people person, who are all this. And it is, it is what riles people up. Other people. Simple as. So I'm just putting people as pet peeve. So is that the end of your argument? That's it, yep. All right, wicked. I like it. Short and snappy. Um, I do agree that people are one of my biggest pet peeves. I have to say that people saying generally when they say genuinely really fucking gets to me um going off what you said about being a cat parent i've heard some someone refer to my cat as my fur baby and it made me want to be sick yeah that's disgusting do you and lucy say your your cat's mummy and no, daddy? no 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 we're her owners we're her owners and do you know what annoys me as well this is the other thing this is another just going off when people call cats or dogs like stupid as though they're clever because they've outsmarted an animal and it's like, yeah, it's stupid, it's a cat. <laughs> the reason I like my cat is because she's simple. She enjoys being fed and she enjoys being stroked. That's it. She's not complex. If I wanted to have a complex relationship, I'd make a friend. <laughs> but you don't like people enough to make a friend. You're not friends with your cat. Yeah, it's a catch-22, that. It's a cat-22, that. <laughs> oh, hey! oh, my God, fucking that was really fucking hello! bad. That was t- <laughs> really bad. That's I did not like that at all. That's not a swish. That's Seven, a fucking... You just hear nothing because it's, like, three feet in front of you. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, it's three feet in front of the hoop. Cat-22. <laughs> Biggest air ball going. <laughs> Goat joke, that was, right. That is the goat joke. Anyway, so here's the thing. I I was going to do any of these things, but then I realised, what is this show? And I need to go back to my roots. Why did I think to myself, oh, do you know what, we should get together and make a podcast. And why did you guys agree that we should do that? Why did this whole thing come together? That'll be fun. Yeah. Because we wanted a soapbox to push our ideas and our ideals on other people. <laughs> yep, that's that's you stole the words right yeah. out of my mouth. That's what I was going to say. Is that next. that's not true? Is it? <laughs> I want to make people think the right way. I'm joking, but no, I'm not. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> look, this is genuinely something that really fucking annoys me. I don't even know if it's a pet peeve or if it's more of like a a religious mission. Like it fucking really aggravates me. Two things, and you both are going to look at me like I've maybe taken this a bit seriously. I'm kind of nervous to utter these words because I think maybe I got too annoyed. But it's online gambling and online gambling adverts do my fucking head in, right? And I'm not a gambler, 
But I don't, I really don't begrudge anyone who wants to gamble. It's your money. You do what you want with it. But online gambling is predatory and it's fucking grim. It is not, I understand going to a casino, I see the appeal. You get to get dressed up. It's a whole experience. They provide a service. And on top of that, you have the opportunity to either lose your money or gain more money. But you're getting more than just losing your money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like you buy losing your money, you're paying for the experience of free drinks and the staff being really nice to you and maybe some sexy younger girl coming up and being flirty with you from the bar staff. Like, I know that's a bit grim, but that's what you're paying into. Being out with the boys or whatever, that's what they pay for, yeah, yeah. That's what you're paying into. What I can't stand is this idea that you're not really enjoying the footy if you haven't put a tenner on the match. Yes, you are. It's just fun. You can just enjoy it and... I hate the way that gambling adverts and they on my phone constantly try and berate me into thinking that ongoing gambling is some sort of reward system for people who know loads about football. It's not. It's not. It's just not. They know more about football than you, not because you don't know enough, but because it's their fucking job and they will never offer you odds where they think they're going to lose. And it's their job to make sure they don't. Yeah. So it's just, it's your setup to fail. It's not like going into you're not playing cards. There's no aspect of talent to it. They're just taking your money. And it, it really bothers me. And I think it's because I play fantasy football and because I watch the football highlights, I just almost every advert I get on my phone is a gambling advert and it does my head in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And they're just trying to get you and you don't want to be got. They're just trying to get me and I don't want to be got. And that's why, like, and what really bothers me is it is a scam. And I'm not one of those people who's like, you're just losing your money. You're just paying to lose your money. I understand the attraction. I genuinely do. Like, it's fun to gamble on something. But what is disgusting about online gambling and the predatory companies that do it is that if you start to make sensible bets, so if you start to either make informed bets or even more so matched betting, I don't know if you know what matched betting is, but... I don't understand better nods. So matched betting is when a company... You can pay to subscribe to companies and what they do is they basically scam gambling companies. So they'll so you know when you get like an advert that's like Paddy Power offers you this deal, like ten pounds on this, and then Betfred offers you ten pounds on that. They tell you, well, if you put their free ten pounds on this and William Hill's free ten pounds on that, and Ladbrook's free ten pounds on that, you are guaranteed to come out with profit. It might not be big profit. But it's like, it's matched betting. So you match one free bet against another free bet. So like, say William Hill are offering a free bet. You put your tenner on Arsenal to win. And then you take Betfred and you put your other tenner, their free tenner on the op- on Arsenal's opposition. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so if the game swings in your favour, you might get the good odds. But even if it doesn't, you'll still get Summon. the free tenner that you got from that other thing. If you do that, they will lock your accounts out. So if you start to actually win, if you start to genuinely play with totally within the rules, you're not doing anything illegal, you're just making sensible, informed bets, they will lock your account. How do they even catch you doing that? They're just talking to each other. Well, no, yeah, because you start making money. They're all talking to each other. They're like conglomerates. If you make like six or seven informed bets in a row, even if you're just lucky, they will terminate your account. Hmm. That's how fucking scummy it is. They don't, they're not your friends. 
And that is, that, that is I, I had written more, but I don't want to go on about it too much. But the thing that frustrates me the most is these adverts where they pretend that by joining in with gambling, I'm going to be able to fucking play table football with Jermaine Genus and Robbie Savage. <laughs> and I'm not. Yeah. I'm just going to lose my fucking money. <laughs> it's not a big happy family. <laughs> They're sharks. They're fucking loan sharks. Yeah, yeah. They'll loan you money. They will loan you credit to gamble with so you can get into debt on a gambling website. What the fuck is that? Just stop. It's disgusting. It really it is a pet peeve. It annoys me every time I see it. And do you know what the worst bit is? And I'll finish with this. Those guys on the gambling adverts, some of those guys are in those adverts paying off gambling debts. They sign up. William Hill will say, we'll pay off your debt if you do an advert for us. Paul Merson, the guy who does Sky Sports Punditry, yeah. he was featured in, in gambling adverts while he was in rehab recovering from a gambling addiction. That's ridiculous. They don't care about you. They are fucking scum. I honestly go to a casino, play the games, enjoy yourself. But fucking online gambling is a scam and it does my fucking head in. That was very, very passionate, Seb. Well done. Very, very impassioned. Actually, I've, I've got a story about online gambling because um, I've got a friend who is um, very politically minded, let's just say. And his political philosophy is kind of like Reaganomics. It's kind of like free market. It's kind of like... Take from the poor, give to the rich? No, it's, it's more like less regulations. It's stuff like that. It's like he believes in the free market that like if the, the less restrictions and regulations, the better the market is and the more happy people are. Sure. He's very pro. He's very pro like legalization of anything. And like he loves smoking. He loves gambling. He loves drinking. He loves eating shit foods. Like he hates public health England, for example. Like he, that's his like sworn enemy. <laughs> Because um, public health England's always telling you, ah, oh, you shouldn't be eating greasy kebabs, you shouldn't be drinking, you shouldn't be smoking, you should be go out and exercising. But anyway, he's he's very like he loves the idea of like pure freedom and that he can do whatever he wants. I, I kind of get that. You're a person of the earth. You could you should be able to do what you want. I I, I get that. Yeah, and so he in his uh, war against people dissuading people from doing things like online gambling, he showed our mutual friends on discord and i remember the night very clearly it was like two or three years ago he showed our mutual friend online gambling and this mutual friend has a very very addictive personality like he will do something like get into an online mobile game and then over the course of like four weeks we'll have spent like three grand on microtransactions like he is he gets very he's very 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 addicted by things and so he showed him you know the, the slot machines and whatnot and he started playing the slot machines i remember we were all just like this isn't good like stop this, this. is a bad this, idea because like, you don't have the personality to handle this type of thing and my politically minded friend was you know be like no no don't listen to those fucking commies those communists or whatever <laughs> thought police <laughs> but anyway so long story short uh that mutual friend is uh, i think sixty thousand pounds in debt because of uh online gambling fuck something like that and now he's completely sworn off it and he's, he goes to these like meetings where he like helps him deal with his addictive personalities and stuff. And, you know, he's on the road to recovery and everything. But 60 grand later, it's fucking grim, man. Damn, dude. And he's, yeah, and he's, he's got a kid and a, yeah, it's not good. It's fucked. Yeah, it's not I good. hope he gets, gets through that. That's fucking grim. 
Honestly, <laughs> you probably picked the right pet peeve here for me judging, Seb, because I also feel very strongly <sighs> against uh, online gambling. God damn it. <laughs> I thought there's no way you can't crown people as the goat. It's like, I basically cheated. <laughs> well, the thing is, I'd say about that is that if you remove online gambling ads or just even online gambling as a whole, I think that would be a net positive. I think there'd be more positives than negatives. Whereas if you removed all people, <laughs> I think that'd be pretty bad, but... to be honest. Because <laughs> there's a lot of good there's a lot of good with people. Yeah, but there's a lot of good with people. But if you, you know? removed all people, you would have you would have gambling. <laughs> you know. So Yeah, but you also wouldn't have fucking food <laughs> and like water and you know a yeah. house. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Right, so I guess Seb wins that, does he? <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm just, I'm just gonna say my, maybe my biggest pet peeve before I crown uh, Seb. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and this, this might be, this might be quite a niche pet peeve, but I, I weirdly really hate it when people really dislike religion, and I don't know what it is because I'm not religious at all. My family's not religious, and I've. I've known like two religious people in my life and it might be just because the only religious people I've ever known have all been very, very nice and hardworking people, very friendly people. But I've just never had a, an issue with religion. But I, I, I don't know, I sometimes hear people, you, Michael, as well, you little fucker, <laughs> go off on a tangent about how all religions are dumb and they're dumb for following religions and they're all like, you know. I will, yeah, it's, it's a pet peeve. I got what you mean. It's like any anything to an extreme. Like, you hate people who, like... You would hate someone who was, like, uber, uber religious and trying to force it on you, but you also don't like when somebody's, like, uber anti. Like, people can just believe whatever they want to believe, basically, is what you... Be- yeah, yeah, I think... Yeah, yeah. as long as they're not, like, sacrificing their you child... You shouldn't either way, that's what I mean, like, yeah. <laughs> you know, it's... You know, some a lot of people take a lot of good from religion. I think there's a lot of... Yeah. You know? But, yeah, that's that's mine. That leaves it for me to crown uh, one of Seb. And it's a really hard decision. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Sorry, Michael, but for my reasons I explained before, it was a good one. I, I, that was a good that was a good pick, but I think there's too much. Yeah, there's a lot of personal beef as well with me with uh, online Fair gambling. Enough. So I'm going to have to crown SebX online gambling. There's the goat pet peeve. Fair enough. Yeah, I sort of cheated there, but. It, it, it was, it's just a bit of a meme, isn't it? Everyone always says like how much they hate people, so I thought it was justifiable to put forward as a, as a little bit of a cheat answer, but fair enough. I low-key hate people that hate people, you know what I'm saying? Like, I just find them really... I find yeah, them a bit I, cringe. I know what you it's mean as cringe. well. <laughs> I find it cringe too. I do find it cringe too. So, Sebi, last one. You are to decide this last section. So, if there's one thing that defines... Wanting to come across as a little bit more intelligent... And something that I love to do personally is when people say, oh, what's your, what's your favourite film? Don't go for something that they know. Pick some fucking wanky foreign film out of your ass <laughs> and tell them it's great. I've been telling people that I think one of the best films of all time is a film called La Haine, which means The Hate. It's a set in a night in France and it talks about France's intense sort of, what's the word, racial and political divides in the late 90s. Um, I've only seen it once. Um, I don't really remember much about it, but I still maintain that it's a fucking <laughs> phenomenon. Everyone should really have a look at that. So um, I can't wait to hear you guys do the same thing. So without further ado, 
Vinny, what's the best foreign film of all time? The greatest, sorry, the greatest. We're not boats, we're goats. <laughs> boats. <laughs> if this podcast was called Boats, we wouldn't get past episode boats. two, would we? <laughs> <laughs> Just fucking love naval fucking boats. <laughs> so, obviously, if I were to pick my favourite foreign movie of all time being a massive degenerate weeb scum i would have just picked an anime so i haven't done that because i wouldn't say that's the best but the one i would have picked which is one of my favorite films of all time is a film called perfect blue it's like if alfred hitchcock made an anime and i recommend it to anyone that thinks that's interesting so one of my favorite foreign movies as well and i think that it could be one of the greatest is a 1920s i think silent german film called the cabinet of dr caligari it's so old that it's public domain so you can watch it on probably wikipedia to be honest yeah definitely youtube it's a very interesting film because it's so old and so silent (laughs) 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 that it's like it's genuinely what probably the creepiest film i've ever seen in my life like I've been very desensitized to horror because I've watched a lot of horror films. I'm a big fan of horror films. So watching a silent German film where they did things like paint shadows on the buildings and everything's like in a really weird dreamlike state with like lots of sharp angles and angles. Fucking, it just looks very weird. And obviously no one actually talks and it's just music. It's very entrancing and very, very creepy film. But there was another film that was also part of the German Expressionist movement within the 1920s that, admittedly, I haven't seen, but I've heard a hell of a lot about, and that is who I've what I've picked. You picked a film you haven't even seen. You're picking a film you've never seen? Y- yeah. Oh, my God. <laughs> Are you taking the piss? <laughs> no, 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 because no, I don't have to have seen it to know its impact. <laughs> to be fair, he's never seen The Devil. <laughs> Also, I never saw Godzilla. What? I, I'm pretty sure I said so on in the podcast. I never, I've never seen a single Godzilla film. Haven't you? Not a single one. And I just thought he was oh. cool. <laughs> <laughs> right, we have to go. This or the magic of the show will be lost forever. Hang on, hang on. Genuinely, Michael, have you been wanking off to Godzilla and Billy's never even watched one? I didn't know you had never, never actually watched watch any of them. I think I watched the 1998 one in America. Oh, yeah, obviously you've seen that. But, like, what? When you were watching the reviews, you didn't just go, oh, and just, like, stream fucking Destroy All Monsters or whatever, see the fights and stuff. No. Oh, for fuck's sake, Finney. <laughs> <laughs> right, what's this film you've never, ever seen, then? That's the best film of all time. It's a 1927 film called Metropolis, and it's directed by a German lad called Fritz Lang. So it's the most expensive film ever at the point in 1927 when it came out. Today it would be about £19 million, which doesn't seem like a lot, but this was before cinema was like as huge as it was now. And it was back when cinema was mostly just like people filming, people doing plays. So it's mostly actors and stuff who... um Broadway and stuff who actually made films so it was still quite a niche and small market at the time so 19 million pounds like is beyond phenomenal for the time it was originally 153 minutes long but had to be cut down to 116 minutes because everyone was like this is three hours long we can't I don't want to sit through this especially in 1927 when films are like notoriously reasonably short 
Yeah, and so a lot of it, a big chunk of the film was actually missing for about a century until in 2008, someone found it in like Buenos Aires in Argentina of all places, like the last remaining parts of the film. And it's now been like everything but two scenes has been like fully, fully restored now. And it's like now it's fully released with like in Blu-ray and very, very good quality. But the film, Metropolis, what is it about? I'm glad I asked. <laughs> the film is about a futuristic megacity in which the top 1% live in vast luxury, while the rest of the population, who keep the city running, live in abject poverty and are all a bit depressed about their lives. Well, that's a bit close to the mark, isn't it, boys? That's a bit fucking... We've never seen that before. This is the thing. It was made in nine, you know, the 1920s in Europe in a time where communism was 1000% on the rise. So you could see why it's like, it has a lot of like Marxist sort of ideas. It's the whole message of the film is that the mind of the city, which is the, the 1% and the hands of the city, which is like the rest, you know, the working class need to communicate better and have the heart to bridge that connection so that they can both live better basically and have like bet strive exactly and while all that's happening there's a mad scientist who creates the world's very first fully functioning robot and in fact this was the first ever robot depicted in a feature-length film now technically not the first ever robot on the big screen because there existed a serial called the master mystery that was made in 1919 which starred Harry Houdini, of all people. Friend of the show. Friend of the, friend of the show, Harry Houdini, which had a robot in it, and that was technically the first ever robot. But this is the first ever feature-length film to have a robot in it. It's basically just the first ever fuck-off big-budget film with, like, giant miniature sets and all this, and, like, a ridiculous amount of actors. Supposedly up to 25,000 extras were used. No, that's ridiculous. Yeah, I know, right? That's like half the amount of people that built the pyramid. It was the aliens who built the pyramids. I thought we agreed on that. Oh, shit. Yeah, we, we've established that. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, go on. Bastards. <laughs> Absolute bastards. <laughs> it was Ringo Starr who built the pyramids. Yeah, go on. <laughs> Guys, I've had a great idea. A great idea. I'm going to build a really big thing made of rocks. Would you probe me again, Mr. <laughs> Alien? <laughs> so, yeah, this was just a huge, huge, huge film back when films weren't huge 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 films basically it was the first ever fuck off huge film and it was even ahead of its time in a lot of things like special effects and it made use of large-scale miniatures and was arguably the first ever use of the schuften process which involved using mirrors to make it look like the actors were inside of the miniature sets which is pretty cool actually i've seen the effects in teasers and trailers of the film pretty cool that is clever. And it looks great. <laughs> Mate, I was really getting on board with it until I remembered that you'd never fucking seen it. <laughs> the reason why I'm saying it's the best foreign film of all time is because there isn't a sci-fi or horror or fantasy film which hasn't in some way been inspired or even borrowed from this film. It was so ridiculously innovative for the time. Like... C-3PO's design in Star Wars was 1,000% taken 
from the robot in Metropolis. If you look up Metropolis and the robots all over the, the scenes, you can see what I mean. Like George Lucas was a big fan of Metropolis and it does show because he nicked the design for C-3PO. Have you seen that quote where Carrie Fisher's talking about why she didn't wear a bra for the first film? She was like, oh, do you not think I should be wearing a bra under my like uh, my dress? And he's like, nah, they don't wear bras in space. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I have heard that. Oh God, that's disgusting. I have heard that, that's so funny. Other things like large towering monolithic city structures like in Blade Runner. Blade Runner is very well known for the big cityscape. That was first done in Metropolis. A mad scientist in a crazy lab zapping life into his own made creation like Frankenstein. That was Metropolis first. A hero trying to rescue the girl on top of a big building like, for example, King Kong and a shit ton of other films. Metropolis had that first. Hell, even the name of the city metropolis was even named as the city of residence for clark kent in the superman comics so this film literally just inspired the vast majority of sci-fi and fantasy films from the 20th and even the 21st century and so it's the best film ever i put i actually wrote that down nice the best film ever that you've never seen before I was really tempted to, but I was like, oh, I have to rent it for like two quid. Nah. <laughs> oh, for God's sake. <laughs> it can't be that good. We need to sort out the Patreon money so that Vinny can start renting films. <laughs> films are actually talking about being the best. Also, why don't you just fucking stream it like everyone else? Yeah, Vinny, get a VPN. Come on, bro. You don't need a VPN. I just, I don't know, man. I was just sick and tired. But anyway, I've got two very fun facts how have you spoken for 15 minutes about a film you've never seen that's unbelievable i've done a lot of research surrounding this film i could have just watched the film but i just yeah, did lots right, of research the film. <laughs> that that is autistic highlight of the week autistic highlight of the week is spending the amount of time it would take to watch the film researching the film rather than just watch the film that's ridiculous <laughs> i love it we should do a jingle Autistic moment of the week. This week, (laughs) Vinny spent two and a half hours researching a one hour, 53 minute film, which he decided is the greatest foreign (laughs) film of all time. All right, fun fact number one. Unemployment and inflation were so bad in Germany at the time in the 1920s that the producers had no trouble finding 500 malnourished children to film the flooding sequences. <laughs> that's, actually that's hilarious. Really that's such a fun fact. fact. <laughs> it's so dark, isn't it? Holy shit, yeah. That's one of the saddest things I've ever heard. This is the greatest film of all time. And it's great because they wrangled 500 starving children and then drowned them. <laughs> no, they didn't drown them. It was like a flooding sequence. They pretend drowned themselves. <laughs> Another fun fact. Much to the director Fritz Lang's dismay, Adolf Hitler and Joseph Goebbels, yes, we're talking about them, were big fans of the film. And Goebbels Goebbels met with Lang, and I don't actually understand why they were big fans of the film, because it's a very, like, Marxist film. But anyway, Goebbels met with Lang and told him that he could be made into an honorary Aryan, despite his Jewish background. Goebbels told him, Mr. Lang... 
we decide who is Jewish and who is not. Holy fuck. Lang left for Paris that very night. Oh my god. <laughs> and that's fun fact number two. Yeah, that is terrifying. Crikey. Oh, and there's also, I, I come across another fun fact. <laughs> so I read on the Wikipedia page of the leading actress who played the role of the robot in the film. Um, she actually, she was involved with a lot of... Um, Car accidents. I don't know why. I didn't really specify why. Whether she was just drunk or something. I was just shit at driving. But she. <laughs> That's not a fun fact. <laughs> right. She was put in jail in Germany um, for manslaughter charges. I think for running over. <laughs> for causing a car accident. And she was actually. Acquitted by uh, Adolf Hitler himself. He <laughs> <laughs> was, par- was pardoned. best film ever <laughs> yeah nice <laughs> not gonna bother <laughs> oh goodness Seb's dead Seb's crying I thought you were gonna say fucking Hitler and Goebbels cameoed <laughs> no no fucking hell are we all ready again are we all composed how the fuck do I go from there I mean, at least we know who's won this. <laughs> right, Michael, off you go. Well, a couple of things to start with. A, I've actually seen this film a few times. B, you should all see it too as well. This is my advice right now. You should all watch this film before I talk about this. If you don't, fair enough. But I would advise that you watch it before we do this because it's that fucking good. Unlike whatever the hell it was we just listened to just then. The film I'm talking about is a South Korean film. Now, South Korea have been absolutely smashing cinema recently. Squid Game and Parasite, winner of Best Picture at the Oscars. So, South Korea have been absolutely smashing it, but they've actually been smashing it for a very long time. And the film I'm talking about is probably, well, in my opinion, it's the greatest foreign film of all time. So, of course, it's the greatest South Korean film of all time as well. And it's called Old Boy, and it came out in 2003. Now, warning, big warning flag right now. If you're Googling this film to watch, make sure you watch Old Boy 2003. 2003. Not the American remake in 2013, directed by Spike Lee with Thanos and that South African fella from fucking District 9. Do not watch that film. I've written a thumbs down and the word poop. Don't, don't watch it, please. It's god-awful, disgraceful, disgusting. Even Spike Lee thought it was shit and it shouldn't be made. Watch the South Korean 2003 version of Old Boy, directed by, and I might get some of these pronunciations wrong, don't crucify me, Park Chan-wook, who is a legend of the South Korean film industry. He worked very closely with the director of Parasite on the Snowpiercer project, which was cool. He also is famous for doing the Revenge trilogy, which this film is a part of because it's a South Korean revenge film, the films that they do best. 
Lady Vengeance, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance, and Old Boy. They have absolutely no connection with each other, apart from some actors are in the other films, and they're all part of this Vengeance trilogy, apparently. So you're saying it's like the Cornetto trilogy? Yeah, 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 exactly. It's exactly like the Cornetto trilogy. And this film is also highly regarded by the masses as one of the greatest films of all time. It's got an 8.4 on IMDb, which is quite hard to attain. Metropolis, and I'm not saying IMD ratings or everything, but Metropolis is only 8.3. So take from that what you will. But anyway, old boy, right, why is it the greatest film of all time, the greatest foreign film of all time? Well, what I'm going to do is just going to explain the whole film, the whole plot, and embellish the bits that I think are great because that is the reason why it's the greatest film of all time just the story and the direction and everything else so I'm going to do this as quickly as possible the film opens and we follow the character Ode Su which is played by Choi Min-sik who's been in loads of South Korean films he's been in a few of these films by Park Chan-wook as well but anyway Ode Su that's the only name we need to remember really he's the main character and we first see him drunk in a police station on his three-year-old daughter's birthday and he's going to be arrested and booked in etc but his friend comes in and convinces the cops to let him go he's being a bit of an asshole anyway he goes onto the phone in a telephone booth and calls his daughter and stuff and says oh yeah i'll be there at like five yeah i've got a present whatever he then leaves the telephone booth and his friend goes in and starts talking on the phone and then his friend turns around and odesu is completely gone He's been kidnapped, not in broad daylight because it's the night, but in the middle of the street. He just disappears. He wakes up in a mysterious prison, which is akin to like a hotel block or a block of apartments. And he has absolutely no idea why he's been put into this prison. He has nothing in there. He only has a television. He is put out with sleeping gas every single night in this prison. Um, he's got a, like a pen and paper and he can write a little diary. And he has to eat the same food delivered from the exact same restaurant every single day. He ends up staying in this prison for 15 years and having absolutely no idea while he's in there. Also while he's in there, he learns how to fight because he decides, whoever's put me in here must really hate me. I'm gonna fucking have them when I get out. So he learns to like shadow box, he starts punching the wall and he gets fucking good at fighting. He also repeatedly tries to kill himself. And the people, when they put him out with the gas, they come in and, like, medically intervene with him and deliberately keep him alive. So whoever wants him in there wants to keep him alive and they want him to suffer. After 15 years, he's sort of, he's also trying to dig his way out of the wall. And on the night he finally manages to break through one brick of the wall to the outside world, he thinks, yes, I'm fucking done it, I've got out. So that night he goes to sleep, the sleeping gas puts him to sleep, but... He doesn't wake up in the hotel in the morning. A mysterious woman goes in while he's asleep and hypnotizes him. When he wakes up, he wakes up in a suitcase on a rooftop in broad daylight in a suit with a watch on and a guy trying to kill himself. And he's like, what the fuck? Where am I? Now, this is the first like super impactful scene and why it's like such a good film as opposed to just the run of the mill American Hollywood, whatever. They just have the guy wake up and stand up and go, oh, where am I? Oh my god, I must have woken up in the fucking sunlight. Oh, this is crazy. I've been in prison for so long. But in Old Boy, he doesn't say anything. He runs up to the man and he's like sniffing him and licking him and tasting him and it's like, he's like frantic and you can tell that being inside for such a long time has just driven him insane and he's been longing for the for the touch of another person. He doesn't give a shit this guy's about to kill himself. He just cares that he's actually out in the world and that's a real person that he's touching for the first time in 15 years. And he tells the guy who's going to kill himself his story of being imprisoned and then he just walks off. 
He doesn't want to hear the other guy's story. He doesn't give a shit. He just had to get his own stuff off his chest, and the guy jumps off the building. Whatever. Isn't that that really fun? <laughs> fun. Really funny scene where he's like walking and walking, and then the guy, the jumper, just fucking slams into like a car behind him, and he just like carry on walking like with like some sunglasses. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As he's walking off, yeah, the guy just slams into a car behind him, and Erdis, who just doesn't give a shit, he's on his own vengeance fury plan. Yeah, fast forward that night, he's caught up in the middle of the street, and some guys are trying to like fuck with him and stuff and bust him. And this is where we get a demonstration of his kung fu skills that he's been learning in the in the prison for fifteen years, and he absolutely hands these guys' asses to them. He batters the shit out of these, like, five dudes all at one time. And it's a really great choreographed fight scene. He's got, like, a cigarette in his mouth the whole time, and it's really cool. He then meets a mysterious guy who gives him a wallet and a telephone, and he goes into a restaurant, and he's transfixed by this famous chef who works in the restaurant. He starts to eat a raw octopus, which is a bit weird, (laughs) and then the phone rings. He answers the phone, and the guy on the phone tells him that he is an expert in Odesu's life and tells him these really weird, mysterious messages. Upon hearing these messages, Odesu just collapses into his plate. When he wakes up, he's in the girl who was in the restaurant's apartment. Her name is Mido, so she obviously took him back to the restaurant and is rifling through his, like, diary that he wrote in the prison. So she now, all of a sudden, has been snooping and knows what his story is, and he is fuming. Another thing that she discovers, which was shown earlier in the film, is that while Odesu was in the prison, he was watching on television that his wife had been murdered and he was the prime suspect. So he's not only been put in prison for 15 years, also his family's dead and he's the prime suspect. But he doesn't know about his daughter. There's no, there's no like nothing saying that his daughter had been killed or anything like that. So he just assumes that she's disappeared. Anyway, once Odesu comes down in the morning, Mido agrees to help him find what's happened to him and help him find who his daughter is. They discover some paperwork for his daughter, and apparently she was adopted by someone in Sweden or something. So they're like, oh, fucking, that's what that, whatever that is. He's just, now he's just fixated on finding the guy who captured him. So what he does, he goes around all the restaurants and tastes the dumplings to find which one was the taste that he tasted for 15 years, because he had the same food every single day. If he can find the restaurant, he'll just see where they deliver the food to and go and get them. He does exactly that. He finds the restaurant, eats the dumpling, he's like, oh, this is the one, I fucking got it, right. He follows the delivery driver, he just runs after him, <laughs> finds a big apartment block, which is the prison. He goes in there, storms up the building, finds the guy who's clearly the warden of all the TV screens, fucking pins him down to the chair and tells him to tell him what the hell's going on. The guy's not giving him shit, so Odesu picks up a hammer, slowly pulls his teeth out one at a time. In the end, the warden gives him a tape, and the tape is like... Odesu's tape and this guy's name on it. He's like, right, I've got it. I'm off. I'm gonna. This is how I'm gonna find out. As he leaves the building, all of a sudden, in this really narrow corridor, there's like 30 or 40 thugs ready to kick his ass. Incredibly impactful scene number two. The fight scene that ensues from this is a single shot of like the side view of a hallway. So if you cut the hallway in half and then viewed it from the side, Odesu's like running through the hallway, battering all these guys. It's one single shot of him just hitting these guys with a hammer and like in a mate one of the greatest fight scenes in any film ever he's just battering these guys but not so much where he just looks superhuman like at one point he gets stabbed in the back and falls on the floor and you think oh he's done but then he, he struggles and he gets back up and there's a big power struggle and he has to fight his way through again it's incredible it's widely like most people know old boy for the hammer fight scene if you're not going to watch the film and you're not interested just watch the hammer fight scene on youtube it's fucking sick. Yeah, it's really, really good. Really, really good fight scene. One of the best fight scenes I've ever seen ever. 
for sure. And like the fact that's all one shot as well is like ridiculous. So anyway, he leaves there and goes back to Mido's hotel and in the next room, he gets called in and there's a mysterious man in there. The mysterious man reveals himself as the captor of Odesu, the man who he's been pursuing. And he levels the odds of this whole game and tells him the, the truth effectively. He admits, yes, I have imprisoned you for 15 years and you want to kill me and find out the reason why. And he says, well, I'll tell you what, I'll do you a deal. You have five days. If you discover who I am, why I kidnapped you and what you've done wrong to me, I'll let you kill me. Like, that's it. You can have your revenge. I'll kill myself. I've got this special button right here and I'll press it and my pacemaker and my heart will stop and I'll, I'll be dead and that'll be it. He's also got Mido tied up in the next room by the guys who work at the prison. So he'll hurt them as well. So he's like, you have to play the game, otherwise you're not going to get your revenge. I'm not going to tell you everything, and you're not going to get your revenge, and everything will be worthless. And you won't clear your name for your wife's murder and all this stuff, because ha ha, that was me as well. He's like, fine. He agrees to do the deal. He goes and rescues Mido from the thugs, that's that. And then there's a really, really graphic sex scene between Mido and Odesu that night. Um, It's really graphic. Hell yeah. (laughs) While they're sleeping, they get knocked out with poison gas, the the same knockout gas that was used in the prison for Odesu every night. When they wake up, they realise that Odesu's shoe has been bugged. So he takes the shoe bug to an internet cafe. And who works at the internet cafe? Oh, surprise, surprise. It's Odesu's friend from the very opening of the film. He's not seen him for 15 years. He's like, oh my god, you're fucking, you're alive. This is crazy. Oh my god. And he says to this guy, he's like, look, you have to help me. Look, this is the wage of my game. This person knows me personally and has known me for 15 years. He's got to be someone that we might know. Maybe he went to our school. So they do some digging and they find out that he does. His name is Lee Woo Jin and he went to school with Odesu and Odesu's friend. And there's a mysterious thing about Lee Woo Jin's sister also went to their school. And they both remember. They're like, oh yeah, she was a massive slut and she, uh, oh, she killed herself, didn't she? Yeah, yeah, that's it. So Odesu's like, right, I'm going to go to the school and like, see if I can remember what happened, see if I can get to the bottom of this. So he goes to his high school, and he starts having these flashbacks. In the meantime, at the internet cafe, Odesu's friend is there, and he's talking to Odesu on the phone, and he's like, yeah, yeah, it is, yeah, it's definitely the right school and stuff. Yeah, she was a massive slut. And Lee Woo Jin is listening to this around the corner, and he breaks a CD in half, goes over and stabs the friend in the neck, violently murdering him. So Odesu listens to his friend being murdered on the phone. And it's like, oh, fuck. Then a really good flashback scene happens. This is scene number three, really impactful. It's a flashback, so obviously it's in the past, so we're seeing all the past footage, but it's intercut with the flashback character, the younger version of Odesu running like down the staircase, and then that's intercut with actual Odesu in the present running down the same staircase, like following them. He's like f- watching his own flashback, following them around, and the cinematography is just outstanding, absolutely outstanding. Anyway... In the flashback, he follows Lee Woo-jin and his sister to, like, an art class. And what he sees is things a brother and sister shouldn't be doing. Nothing explicit, but it's very implied that there's, like, a bit of sexual stuff going on there between the two. And Odesu sees this. And what does he do? He does what every 15-year-old guy does, and he tells all his mates. That's what he does. He tells everyone. And he remembers while he's telling everyone, while he's having this flashback, that... Lee Woo Jin, when he was telling him about the game, said he imprisoned Odesu because Odesu talked too much. So he thinks, ah, oh, fuck, this is it, right. I've figured it out. 
He and his sister, like, they might have been sexual together. I told everyone. Lee Woo-jin hated me, so he imprisoned me for 15 years. That must be it. Now we hit the crescendo of the film, the grand finale. Odesu tells Mido, right, you hide in this hotel room, and I will go to Lee Woo-jin's penthouse and confront him and tell him that I know what's happened. I know everything that's going on. So he does. He goes up to the top floor of the penthouse and he confronts Lee Woo-jin. He says, this is the reason why. And Lee Woo-jin says, no, this is not the reason why. Now, editor, cut here. (laughs) Because I'm about to spoil the film completely by giving away the ending. And I only want to give it away to Seb so that he understands why this is the greatest film of all time and here's the twist. But I don't want the audience to hear it. So editor, you can now cut. Cut here and... Enter some sick special effects. What are you doing, step bro? Oh, boom. Editor, you could start the edit bank right now. I mean, it's intense, isn't it? That's what it is. It's intense. It's very intense. The first time I saw it, I couldn't stop thinking about it for about two weeks. I was like, <laughs> yeah. oh, I can't. That, uh, wow, I'm, I, I'm in shock. I'm fully in shock. And that's why it's just the greatest one of all time. It's so impactful. It has a lot of shock factor. It has a lot of like, whoa. It reminds me a lot of not a foreign film. But have you ever watched the film Seven with Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That is a great ending. Not just the ending, but you know the bit where the one that's... What are the Seven Deadly Sins? The Sloth, Greed, Lust, the sex one. Oh, yeah. yeah where yeah. they don't show you exactly what's happened. They just show you the dildo with a knife on it. And you're like, whoa, like, I can't believe I just thought that. Like, I can't believe that that just was in my brain. It has a lot of that going for it. It's intense as fuck. I like it. Oh, it's so difficult. Is it? (laughs) Well, it is, because Fritz Lang's Metropolis is widely regarded to be one of the most important films in cinema history, even if Vinny's never seen it. And it's a Nazi sympathiser film. (laughs) I also quite like the way that Fritz Lang's life, especially when he met Goebbels, was like he was then himself in a George Orwell novel, Mm. where... The Nazi guy is being like, we decide who the Jews are, despite the fact that he's killing millions of Jews. Like, that is in itself so ironic and so, like, poetic. It's a bit mad. It's also mad to me that you're always talking about wanting to eat dumplings because you saw fucking Old Boy. Every time you said that, I thought it'd be some, like, slow-paced hangout movie set in, like, Korea. No. Where, like, there's just a lot of people eating dumplings. It's not. It's fucking... Why do you want to eat dumplings? When he was eating them, I was like, oh, they just look pretty tasty, actually. <laughs> and he eats a fuck ton of them. And I was like, they look pretty nice. And then I tried them and I was like, they're damn good, man. They are tasty. They are tasty. That's like me being like, I really want to try some gruel after I watch the boy in striped pajamas. <laughs> <laughs> but I need to crown a winner. Do you know what? I'm going to say this. A bit like when Michael did Gandalf it was really good what Vinny did but I don't know if I can find it within myself to crown the goat 
as something that you've not seen. None of us have seen it. Nobody on this panel can objectively say that it's the goat. If I'd seen it and you hadn't seen it and you triggered something in me and I was like, oh yeah, it's really good, I would still have given you the win. But I just don't think we can do it if none of us have seen the film. That's a low point for goats. I just don't think we can do that. And also, Old Boy sounded really good and it did make me really want to watch it. It is a great film. And also, you can agree it's a good film. So I'm going to give the win to Old Boy. Michael, you've won. However... A bit like UFC, I just want to hand Vinny like a performance bonus for the bit about the woman <laughs> who killed loads of people and then got pardoned by Hitler because I genuinely think that might be the funniest moment of the podcast ever. Yeah. I thought I was going to be sick with laughing. Yeah, yeah. That's like the um fucking cryptid episode for me. That whole episode was one of the funniest moments ever. But yeah, Vinny, you smashed those fun facts, man. Those fun facts were the funniest thing I've heard in ages i could not stop laughing that two minutes we had to take that genuinely had to happen i i couldn't bring myself back together that was too funny the entire imdb trivia page for that film is just nothing but like yeah so like several people died filming this (laughs) it just like sounded awful to film (laughs) anyway on that note well done i think we all actually won one then didn't we Vinny won Beetle. You won Pet Peeve, and I won Old Boy. Yeah, lovely. That's the same as the last, the last uh, fucking. Yeah. Oh, that's true. Grab bag number two. We all won one. That's brilliant. Wow, fantastic. On that note, thank you to Ed Morgan, friend of the show, for becoming a patron, and thank you to all our patrons. We're now, at, I think, six, and I think we're getting dangerously close to almost paying off the monthly amount of subscriptions that we pay for to make this show so that's exciting almost dead even we're almost dead even on this show so that is genuinely really exciting thank you so much for that and come back next week where we i don't think we've decided what we're recording yet next week but i'm sure it'll be great but yeah all right then well come back next week sorry if my audio sounds a bit shit i am in a car (laughs) in a car in a car park see you all soon love you bye happy days love you bye i love you bye This is Craig Robinson from Ways to Win, and support for this podcast comes from Invesco QQQ. Invesco QQQ is proud to sponsor this episode, and even prouder to provide access to innovation for the last 25 years. Basketball has had innovations over the years, too. We're seeing the game played in new ways every day. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Let's rethink possibility. Invesco Distributors, Inc., even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. 
Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.